You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast. We are again here in Little Rock, Arkansas, at the headquarters of the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, and I am again joined by Luke Naylor, Waterfowl Program Coordinator for Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, and Jake Spears, Ducks Unlimited's biologist here in Arkansas. Today, we're going to be resuming our conversation about the new era of management for green tree reservoirs here in the state of Arkansas. Uh, on the previous episode, we spoke about the history of green tree reservoir management here in Arkansas, and we spoke about how over the years, due to the way those water levels were, were being managed in green tree reservoirs, how the forest health began to decline, how the species composition began to, to change in those green tree reservoirs. Today, we're going to be talking about some of the solutions that have been identified and the schedule for their implementation. And we're also going to be talking about Ducks Unlimited's role in this entire effort. So if you haven't listened to the previous episode, I encourage you to, to do so. It provides all of that history and kind of gets you caught up to speed to where we are today and what we're going to be talking about. So with that, Luke, let's talk about sort of the assessment that your agency conducted to sort of figure out the health of these different green tree reservoirs. I believe you were saying that started in 2014. It was a rather comprehensive assessment. Give us an idea of what that looked like. Did you visit every one of your green tree reservoirs to conduct that, that assessment? What did you learn regarding uh, the species composition changes and forest health declines? How consistent was that across these different areas? And then how did you go about kind of developing 
the different solutions that you wanted to implement on each of these areas. Yeah, so we set set the stage with uh, forest health information again in 2014. Started, you know, documenting what the what the the primary issue was, and it was you know declining forest health and changing in species composition. And then we we kind of kept kept working for a little bit. Um, we continue to work uh, constantly on this, but. Uh, ended up going out on all these WMAs and GTRs with a with a team of, of folks from inside and outside the agency to go evaluate each GTR for its current status, and that's where it really started to shift us toward solutions. And and they're almost entirely uh, not to not. I need to come back to our forest managers here at some point. Not to uh, state that what they're doing is not important because it is, but infrastructure is is such a linchpin in this and infrastructure in in our ability to effectively manage water to promote our our new long-term objectives of habitat sustainability and long-term hunting opportunity we had enough we knew we kind of knew but we went through and and have identified that okay these are the primary infrastructure limitations on each of these gtrs and we document those and we're talking like water control structure. Yes. We're talking yes. levees, levees, water control structures. Canals, Correct. What gets the water onto and off of those units? Right? Yeah, and it really shifted our whole our whole mantra. Really, uh, you know, we've we spent years and years and years of you can think again to the like we discussed last time about the individual manager at a WMA if they get called by somebody that hey water's coming out of this particular spot. You know, what do they do? They they prop they had the pressure to go block that up, right? Put a ditch plug in it, put a slew plug in, put a new structure in. Generations of the the mindset being we gotta hold every bit of water we possibly can. It's become clear that we have to shift our focus to how can we move water through these systems. And and yeah, a lot of that it, well, it's pretty easy to hold water. All things considered, it's pretty easy to hold water during some portion of the winter for ducks to use and duck hunters to use. It's a lot harder to have infrastructure that is of the scale necessary to move the amount of water that's now coming through these systems. And we do think this is a, a more, uh, more modern issue, a bigger problem now maybe than what it was 30 or 40 years ago. Increased spring and summer, early summer rainfall. The, the water coming through these systems is just astounding. It, it's unbelievable the amount of water that t- comes down to these areas, again, which are generally at the bottom of most of these watersheds. We're talking a three-quarter of a million acre plus watershed for Biomeda that starts northeast of Little Rock. So a seven-inch rain in Jacksonville in Little Rock is what starts the chain of events for moving water down into Biomeda, at which point we have a three-and-a-half-mile levee that entirely blocks off that entire watershed on its way to historically dump into the Arkansas River. And that's just one example of the same sort of scenario in place across these GTRs. And we are not walking away from GTR management in in most cases. We're making some major changes. How can we install infrastructure that can move that volume of water when it's coming, which may be during the waterfowl wintering period, may be in May, Uh, probably pretty likely is going to be in May actually. And how can we move that through? Because um, even with our structures open now, with existing infrastructure, we know that we are still stacking up water 
behind these levees and water control structures in an unnatural way. So that's really where our our management and restoration GTR renovation focus is is going. And it's a mindset shift like a like a lot of this is to to shift to to demonstrate to folks who thought a you know a 48 inch gated pipe or a, I mean a, a six to eight foot an eight foot tank car at the large scale was a massive structure. And we're we're talking about things like taking a 60 foot structure at Biomedo, which is which is big, 60 feet wide, and producing installing a 120 foot wide structure on the area. When you start doing the math, and we're working with hydrologists in some places formerly, um, in other places we're continuing to work with the US Geological Survey. They got years of experience dealing with with dealing with water to help us with some um, where it's maybe a, a little bit simpler, not to diminish USGS, of course, but we're bringing on full-scale modelers working with DU and others to, when it comes to engineering designs and full-scale hydraulic models. But general theme is we got to move water through these places in a big way uh, to take the pressure off. And that relates to, it's like there are a couple of issues here. Sort of the overriding issue is that the historical schedule of water management time when it was put on, the depth that it was put on, and how long it was put, how long it was kept on, we have seen is not good for forest health, right? Correct. It's not, and what you're saying now is it's not as simple as saying, we're going to, we're going to do something different. We're just going to change. We're going to keep this, we're going to open the structures up on a different date, or we're going to close them later. What you're saying is that we're also seeing an issue with the infrastructure's capability to allow us to achieve what we think is a new water management schedule, right? The existing Correct. infrastructure. So we have to change that before we can implement what we believe is going to be a water management schedule that is healthy for the forest in the long term. Correct. So we we took the step in before the 2017-18 wintering period. We said, okay, those October 1st, October 15th flood dates, those are a thing of the past. So now we have November 15th or December 1st initial board update, and we've, we've kept that in place since t- till now. And with a couple changes we're making on, uh, on a couple WMAs entering this duck season. So, but that's not enough. Uh, we, we know that, that moving water through that system is, is critically important. Um, closing those structures on November 15th, even now is not all that difficult, right? It's, that's a simple step. We can go do that. Uh, but when you pull them and water's still there come June 15th, it, it that that continues to be a problem. It's it's really fascinating. All of this stuff is kind of an exercise in, in you know, social dynamics and how well we communicate with people. And we've done some good things. We've missed the mark a couple places. Uh, we're continually, continually trying to improve. It's always been fascinating to me. But before 2017 and 18, and this is not at all a criticism, I, I genuinely laugh about this and like it's kind of just fascinating that I had exactly zero emails, phone calls, texts, social media complaints about spring flooding on GTRs. And it's been an issue for for years. And no feedback from the public. Zero. They're not out there. Well, and but as soon as we change the board update back, which is seen as taking some something away, and it I can see that initially, all of a sudden we'll you guys aren't doing anything about the spring flooding, but you're punishing us. Yeah. And so two things there I think are are, are nice. We raised awareness. <laughs> we did. <laughs> you definitely we, did that. We did raise awareness. So that was good. And it gives us an opportunity to then have that conversation about, it's not 
it's not either or. It, it's we have to do both. Yeah, right. And the thing we can do right now involves that infrastructure that is in place today. And so all these other issues are much bigger and take longer to get fixed. So it's awesome that people are paying attention more, I think, now than what they were before we started this. Um, our water management plans moving forward are intended to be much more dynamic, much more variable, much more unpredictable, which will be, again, a communications uh, opportunity for us. Uh, but but I think, it, and that's one of the slight misses, I think, at our original communication where we kind of laid out some hypothetical flood plan type scenarios that are from the old stuff that you and I looked at in undergrad or in early in our careers, right? About, okay, this is how you ought to manage a bottlement hardwood forest ecosystem in a GTR, right? Variable, variable within and among years. Just the, what was important is a concept of variability, but we put those figures out there in some publication. And so immediately it's like, well, why aren't you doing that? Like that, that's what you were supposed to do, right? Those got, those got cut out, pasted on the wall and yeah. people were planning their their days of field based on what the water level was right. supposed to be on August on, on November. Yeah. yeah. So this 29th. is, this is year four. So why didn't you do this? Like, well, wait a minute. We never said that's, then you look at it. It's like, okay, I could see where yeah, people exactly. interpreted that. I, we, as we were talking here, kind of before we started recording that, I, I that occurred to me as well. As, as soon as I saw those graphics, I thought to myself, I bet you some people are going to misinterpret those. Though they, people are going to think those are, the schedules of flooding, both in terms of depth and timing that we're going to see on these units going forward in years one, two, three, and four, right? I mean, Absolutely. That's just the way, oh, yeah. because we want to, again, we're not good with change. We're not good with variability. We look for things that tell us the way things are going to be. And that was just an, an example. So those graphs, those figures that are out there in some of the AGFC publications related to this that show the the, the variable water levels uh, from November or October, whenever the, whatever the case may be, those are just examples, hypothetical examples of the way it may work out, right? Correct. I think, I think we made the mistake of even labeling them year one, yeah. year two, year three. <laughs> You're, learning. Learning. You're learning. Well, I got some recent communications yeah. from constituents. Sure. And, and when we talked about these issues that th these changes were making this year, and it was the vast, the majority of the feedback I got was, well, wait a minute, how can you do this? You told us here that this is what you should be doing this yeah. particular year at XWMA. Uh, wait a minute. My initial response was, uh, no, come on, that can't be true. But then I went back and read the document again that we produced, and I said, okay, all right. I could see where somebody came up with, like could interpret it that way without sure. a little bit more explanation. So it's a learning opportunity for us to explain a little bit better we're always trying to explain things better and we're going to miss, but we're, we're trying to just do what we can with information. But the point is, is variability, um, variety in what we do, which I know is not necessarily what people want to hear. We're trying to balance that with increased communication as well. So our, our water management is going to become much less predictable as we get infrastructure in place. For, for example, we're going to be installing infrastructure that has remote operation cap capacity so we can have a gauge on a structure have the structure that has nearly um, infinite adjustability by the inch within an area and remotely control the level of that structure so from a computer or cell phone remotely doesn't mean we're going to stop checking on areas and being on the ground but 
provides that opportunity. So we can real time adjust to uh, soil temperatures. If we find out soil temperatures are a, are a key trigger of tree dormancy, we can monitor soil temperatures and trigger when to implement when to close structures or raise into a certain level to flood a certain forest community zone. Getting really down in the weeds, that's a whole, probably a whole nother conversation. But the way we're going with that is to be much more management based on um, the ecological status of that site than set dates. So these dates that we have in place now were always intended to be placeholders until we get infrastructure fixed on a particular GTR, then an adaptive plan written. So that'll be a learning process to move people from there, here to there. Uh, but, but our communication is, it, we're, we're trying to do our best to increase communication with, with gauges, for example, on these GTRs where people can go real time, like they do for lots of these areas. I'm sure Jake has hunted. You've probably hunted some of them, Mike. The, you look at the Cache River, the White River Bottoms, where nobody seems to care at all about the high level of variability inherent in hunting those areas, right? People are adapt, duck hunters are just adapted to it. They know what gauge to check. They know what gauge reading tells them they can hunt a particular spot they like to hunt. But we've just conditioned people to consistency on GTRs. We're, and we haven't had the data to share with users. So now we're changing that. We're going to have gauges in place at these areas, publicly available data where folks can go look at the lower value water control structure on Biomeda, just like they could look at the, at the Patterson gauge on the Cache River. So they could... We're moving that direction, trying to bring hunters along with us in that kind of education and increased communication uh, process. In your assessment of of the situation, you mentioned White River and Cash. Was the was the the possibility of letting some of these or letting all of your historically managed green tree reservoirs transition to a completely unmanaged state? Did, was was that yeah. ever seriously considered? Yeah, when we look at each of these areas and do a full evaluation, um, when we went out there with those groups on site, everything was on the table. And that includes just knock it all down and walk away. And let, let the water levels be dictated by the, yeah. by the adjacent rivers uh, or, exactly. or whatever streams may be feeding the water to those areas. Especially those areas that are immediately adjacent to a major river that seems to have a pattern of increased uh, flooding duration and and height. So that was always on the table uh, at all of them. And there will be a few cases of that. The, the South GTR at Henry Gray Hurricane Lake, that the forest health was so poor, declining so quickly, that we made the decision that we're not going to manage that as a GTR right now. Uh, well, at all. It's still potentially flooded timber. It's just we want to make a distinction yep. here between a green tree reservoir, which is one where we intentionally manage water levels on a, on a some adaptive schedule now going forward, right? That's right. So that does not mean it will not flood. If you look at uh, White River, that's a river in, in play there. If you look at White River uh, gauge history over the last several years, place is going to flood. I mean, we've had the the river levels to entirely flood that WMA to the point where you, like we have one parking lot because you can't drive any farther into the, into the WMA. It's all flooded. We're going to hit that level. And but we have to allow that free flow of water through that system. So I think based on all of our evaluations, I think um, you can use the term decommissioning. We haven't come up with a real great term for what you call that. All of it sounds just really bad, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know what you call it. But 
you know, no allowing long, it to revert to natural re, natural yeah. variation in water levels. Right, yeah. and but that's too that's, that's wordy. Too, that's long, wordy. Yeah, you can't write that in one. I don't know. So <laughs> it's it's okay it, to us. You know. I know it's okay to us, but I've already you know stated we we. <laughs> We've had some misses in communication, and I'm trying to improve that. Okay, but, but, fair enough. But, so, yeah, we're going to have those. But I think they're going to be small in the grand scheme of things. We'll have fewer of those. I think we're finding solutions to have managed GTRs in the long run on most of our areas. Um, they'll be drastic, probably look a lot different in many cases, uh, but will still be ma- still be operated as GTRs in the long run. Um, there'll be a few that are are no longer managed as GTRs. We're trying to, most of those, I think we'll be able to make a, a pretty strong case that water availability and overall sustainability of the habitat, of course, but even the availability and timing of water to provide flooded areas for ducks and duck hunters is probably going to be maintained. It'll change, but it'll still it'll still exist, if that makes sense. So we're like, make those decisions in areas they were pretty confident they're still going to flood anyway. And so it's kind of this balancing act. So yeah, the worst case, it's a lot cheaper actually when we get to talking to what DU does and what Jake helped with grant writing and stuff. Like it's a heck of a lot cheaper to just rent a few big dozers and knock all this stuff in. It's yeah, quicker, for sure. quicker, cheaper, easier. Uh, but that's not the course we're taking on most of this because we care about providing that that opportunity in the long run. There's a lot that we could discuss about each of the, the GTRs, you know, where you're making these decisions, this sort of new era of management, what that would look like. We obviously don't have the time to do that here on this on this episode, but where can people go to learn more about these particular the particular area that they may be may may have hunted for all of their life? Where can they go to learn about the changes that are going to be implemented, the timing of those changes? What type of resources is AGFC putting out there? Where can people find those? We try to house everything at agfc.com/gtr. That's where we try to put all of our new information. Um, just now, we're actually this year making some changes that warrant putting the information out there. We're having some, some public meetings folks can attend over the next few weeks to try to try to get the word out, ha- allow folks the opportunity to have a conversation with us, uh, not a lecture. We're, we're having a conversation with folks through this. And, and that website is really the clearinghouse for information about what we're doing and importantly, what we're not doing. I've heard a lot of people ask me when the dry year is going to happen on Biomedic, going back to those original figures that we published and and were misunderstood, and which is our fault. And a lot of questions. When's the dry year? When's the dry year? You know, I heard it's this year. I heard it's this year. Now, did did you see anything with a Game of Fish logo on it saying that? Well, no. Like, so, okay, so it's not happening. If it's going to happen, trust me, you'll hear it here first. So go to that website. We do a great job through our weekly newsletter. Uh, sign up for the weekly waterfowl report. Information goes out there. So just go to our website and sign up. To the waterfowl report and our weekly newsletter It'd be really hard to miss important details if you're signed up for those communication tools but to the point of the dry year if a year if if a year falls in the unmanaged am i right in that regard if you have like a year where you say we're not going to hold we're not going to intentionally hold water we're going to let it fluctuate based on whatever the precipitation and stream flows dictate there will be some of those years like that where it's unmanaged. They'll be widely announced. So the the flooding 
the, the new infrastructure operation dates on most of these areas have been the same since 2017-18. Now, there's a few examples. The, uh, the GTR on Sheffield Nelson Dagmar Wildlife Management Area by Brinkley. Phenomenal red oak regeneration in that site. So this, I believe, will be the fourth winter where we have not closed the structure on that relatively smaller GTR. And we have publicized that through our newsletters every year that we've made that decision. So that's an individual decision for a specific GTR that we said, hey, this varies from what is on the website. This varies, so pay attention. So you're not prescribing unmanaged years not any number point. of years uh, ahead. Okay. No, not at All this right. point. But in theory, at some of these places, if you did prescribe an unmanaged or not prescribe, but have an unmanaged year and it happens to be a dry year, that could be the scenario in which a dry situation occurs, right? It could be. And what we tried to set the stage with this year, and our, and our director is working on those those communications, is getting the message to folks that expect the new normal to be sometime around the September timeframe each year. For those decisions to you're, be announced. Yeah, you're going to hear from us about what our plans are. If you don't hear about something for a specific WMA or GTR, then it's status quo. But we will communicate that information. A lot of that goes back to when we can make decisions about forest management and about regeneration in that growing season. If we see phenomenal red oak regeneration, a particular site in July and August and early September, then we can get together, communicate a management action, and then publicize that in September. Let the public know, like we're doing at Earl Bus Body View WMA this year, phenomenal willow oak regeneration following a timber harvest. So we have publicized and we'll continue to do so that we're not closing structures on the Thompson Track GTR at Bada View. And that is to try to recur- encourage this year class of willow oaks and the next couple of years, most likely, to recruit into the stand so we can get that next generation of forests on the landscape. But in that scenario, again, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to ask this question in, in as many different ways as possible just to kind of get to all the possible misinterpretations that might be out there, even in that situation where you you said you're not going to close the structures, you could and probably will still have some hunting opportunities out there, right? Because of natural fluctuation in water levels. There are, I don't, I'll say any, that's probably too, too extreme, but there are very, very few of these GTRs that we could ever keep water out of. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yep. So most of them, the water is going to come in. Our decision is whether we keep the water in them. So it's good. It's going to come and go. That's helpful. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com.
Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. The next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit campuswaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation, united by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation, take it outside. Okay, Jake, you've been very patient throughout this, staying with us here on, on this, but now I want to talk to you about the very important role that Ducks Unlimited is playing. I have another question for Luke here on the back end of this uh, related to kind of science and research and how that kind of figures into what we're going to do going forward, but on the implementation side of things with regard to the recovery plans, all the infrastructure changes that, that Luke has mentioned, Ducks Unlimited is hugely invested, hugely committed to helping in that regard, helping in any way that AGFC needs us to. Even in your limited time here with Ducks Unlimited, Jake, I'm sure you have have quickly appreciated the relationship that DU has with AGFC and that that partnership. Kind of talk about that. What's your what has been your experience in that regard? How do you how crucial is that hand in hand partnership between DU and AGFC? Well, AGFC has been a big partner of Ducks Unlimited for, from what I understand, decades, way before I started working here, um, you know, from back in the time when we got our Southern Regional Office started, and even before that, when they were uh, stepping up and contributing to our fall flight efforts up in the prairies. So um, their relationship with us has been very strong for a long time, and um, it's been nothing but positive from what I've heard. Uh, but then in the last, what, like four or five years is when we really dove headfirst into this Green Tree Reservoir initiative. And that's when we really rolled our sleeves up and got involved with them in Arkansas for um, all of these issues that they're facing now. And so I want you to talk a little bit more about that, exactly what it is. What, like, what's our role? What does DU bring to this? Because Arkansas is so important to DU's mission, both from a from the perspective of supporting waterfowl populations, providing the habitat that waterfowl populations need, but also helping to meet the needs and the, the interest of, of our members, of our waterfowl hunter members in Arkansas. What do we want people to know about how we are contributing? What is our role in this overall process? Uh, and, and even speak to some of the role, some of the work that we do on the engineering side of things. A lot of people don't understand that we have a lot of engineers on staff. So kind of provide some examples there of how we fit within within this larger recovery plan um, that that's being that's being rolled out. So we really have two main roles in this whole thing in Arkansas. And the first one, like you just mentioned, is our engineering capabilities. Um, we have a great team of engineers across the across the South that get involved with uh, working with state agencies and helping them uh, redesign their infrastructure to make it fit the agency's needs. So we have engineers that are actually able to go out onto these WMAs, um, do the survey work, shooting levees, looking at water control structures, and actually giving Game and Fish the information they need to redesign all of this infrastructure to fit the needs of the Game and Fish Commission. And then beyond that, what's our role in kind of helping to find the funds to actually do this work? Because it's not 
It's not cheap. It's not free. It's certainly um, not cheap. <laughs> it's not cheap at all. <laughs> do we have look, quick question to Luke? Do we have an overall price tag on what this what yeah, is going to be? But wait five minutes and it'll increase. I saw uh, like sixty million dollars at least. Okay. At least, yeah. So it's not going to be cheap. It's not going to be quick. But but Jake, we have an important role in that regard in helping our our state partners, our federal partners, find the funding, acquire the funding, and then kind of help deliver, you know, spend the money to do the work that our engineers have kind of helped design in collaboration with AGFC. So talk about how we go about some of that. What are the, some of the sources of the funds that we uh, that, that we seek, that we use in these projects? So our fundraising capabilities are really our second strong suit when getting involved with projects like this. It's These are very, very expensive projects, and there's no way Game & Fish could get that stuff done on their own, at least anywhere in the near future. Luke has um, deep pockets, but not that deep, right? Right. They're, they're limited. Yeah. <laughs> they, do have, they do have a bottom. Yeah. So where we come in handy is we're able to use game and fish money to pull together with some of our own money and some of our other partners money and apply for large NACA grants and other, uh, other smaller grants as well. But NACA is the main one that we're able to pull our money together with game and fish and some other sources and um, apply for these large federal NACA grants that are able to match our money up to $2 million. And we're able to do that twice a year. And that adds up to a lot of money each year, potentially for these projects. So NACA is North American Wetlands Conservation Act. It is always year in and year out, one of Ducks Unlimited's highest priorities. It is the premier federal wetland restoration conservation fund that we have uh, here in, in North America. Really, it, it provides money for wetland projects in Canada, in Mexico, and in and in the U.S. And you know, it's it, all sorts of partners from across the uh, across North America utilize it to to deliver high priority wetland projects. It is you, you did remind me there, Jake, that the cap you might say on NACA projects has recently. I don't know if I'd say lift. It's been lifted to some extent. But they're providing some some additional opportunities to elevate the grant request up to about $2 million. Now, I think for the longest time, it had been a million dollars and it had not adjusted for inflation over the years. And we all know of all times to being making adjustments for, inf- for inflation now is it. So it is good to hear that they are providing some opportunities for $2 million grants now, and that's going to certainly help and accelerate some of the pro- some of the work we're able to do here um, on, on these particular um, projects for sure. Now, not all of them, all the not all the NACA grants that we apply for and receive are two million dollars. Not all of them are even up to the one million dollar mark. Some of them are less than that. But it is a it's a big source of a lot of the a lot of the funds that we use uh, in, in some of our wetland conservation efforts. Jake, what about some examples of projects that are underway? Maybe have any of them been? Well, none of them have probably been completed yet. I think you were telling me earlier that there was one that we started trying to. Uh, Develop, get the funding for about four years ago, and we're just now kind of moving dirt, right? So give us some examples of, of the projects that are underway and that are planned and an illustration of the time that's required to kind of get these things moving. Yeah, you'd be amazed at how Mother Nature knows when it's time to start doing some important work, and then we get a couple inches of rain right when we're ready to get started, and our work area is underwater for several months, and that 
delays us by a whole year after that. Um, but we have started making some pretty significant progress at Hurricane Lake WMA, like Luke mentioned earlier, um, on the south unit right next to the river where we're basically trying to get rid of, decommission it, as we call it, as a green tree reservoir and just make it act as a natural forest. Um, so we've had a crew in there knocking out earthen plugs that have, uh, it's essentially a road that runs across this south portion of that green tree reservoir and all the bayous and sloughs that drained that forest into the river were basically plugged up way back in the day when they constructed it so we're going in knocking out those plugs and replacing those with bridges and low water crossings to where we can continue to provide access to the public uh, back into those areas but we've made a lot of progress there in the past couple of months I believe they're just about ready to go in and start putting in some bridges and stuff in there as we speak. I mean, then on the north end of Hurricane Lake in that same area, we are in the design phase of a large water control structure on Glazed Creek. Do we know when that's going to be? Ideally next year. I mean, I'm going to be optimistic. So ideally, Maybe next year. <laughs> <laughs> ideally next year, we'll have a very large water control structure going into Glazed Creek and the upper half of Hurricane Gray, Hurricane Lake, or Henry Gray, Hurricane Lake. Um, and on top of that, we are in the bidding process of getting two new water control structures at Bio to View WMA up in Northeast Arkansas. And uh, we are in the modeling phase at Dave Donaldson WMA at the moment. We're wrapping up with that right now. And when I say modeling, um, that's where our engineering staff comes in handy, as I mentioned earlier. Um, we have some engineers that are working with a company out of Memphis where they are actually using uh, hydrologic data to actually look at how that whole WMA would flood based off different levee and water control structure scenarios and how it would flood based off different flood events under those different infrastructure scenarios. So uh, we're finalizing all the data for that and going to present that to AGFC here soon. And we will make some final infrastructure decisions after that. Um, and then lastly, we are starting some uh, survey work over at Biomeda, uh, shooting levees and getting the infrastructure issues figured out there. And that will be starting in the very near future this winter, I believe. And we're, we are probably going to be working on these type of G- GTR projects for, for how long? Next two decades? Yeah. It good, will be a while. Yeah. So, I, you know, I asked that question, kind of offer that out there so that people realize this has been a, a problem. It's fair to say it's a problem. Characterize yes. it as a problem. It is a problem. I've even seen in writing some people saying we're at kind of crisis levels on some of these places. I think some of what has borne out on some of the areas would would justify that that statement. This is a, a problem, a crisis that has not developed overnight. It has developed over decades, as you told us before, Luke. Therefore, the solutions are going to take decades to, to fully implement and see and certainly see the benefits from, right? Oak, ge- Absolutely. Oak, oak regeneration does not happen in one year. Yeah. I wish it did. Yeah, right. it'd, be, it'd be nice, but we cannot plant uh, nut all oak that are capable of hiding a hunter at this <laughs> point. Right. Nobody's figured that out yet. If That's you got right. that plan, come yeah. see us. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a lot of us in the agency here talk about like this is a, this is the rest of our career type effort. And with four years... Henry Gray, Hurricane Lake, the same water that is causing a lot of the issues with rapid declines in forest health also prevents us from doing construction to help alleviate that water stress. So it's kind of this real kind of a weird cycle we're caught in and, and maybe we'll hit, maybe we'll hit dry 
uh, for a couple years, and construction season will be good. Like the Glaze Creek structure at Henry Gary Hurricane Lake. Henry Gary Hurricane Lake. That's a that's a great example of one, Mike. That like the question about walking away from GTR management or not. That area we looked at a lot, and the project to go in next year will be the frame for a water control structure, a massive water control structure, but no structure. Because if you look at the how you evaluate what you would build now to just provide a gap for water to naturally basically restore the stream channel versus come back in five, 10 years from now, assuming a forest regeneration and some uh, relief of that stress and our, our objectives are appearing to be accomplished in forest health, then come back in and install a water control structure to then maintain that as a GTR. We made the decision internally that, no, we're just going to install the frame for a structure now. Similar, it's more expensive now, but it wouldn't, you'd be probably come out money ahead. And so we're maintaining the commitment to have managed water on that area. But in the long run, we're talking 10 years before we would actually install that structure because we think it'll take that long to have confidence that the forest has recovered enough to to handle that. Uh, so, yeah, it's a great example of we're kind of walking, we're kind of one step at a time on this sort of stuff. And all our reviews have, been, have given us the conceptual framework. Game and Fish folks with our partners have said, okay, here's what we want done in concept on these GTRs. And then... For actual construction, that's when the engineering designs come in. That's when the hydrological modeling comes in. Like, okay, we've got the concept. We can we can sketch out on a paper what we want done on these areas. But then moving them toward an engineering plan, construction drawings, those sorts of things that most people don't think about when they think about wildlife management um, are kind of the next step. And, and DU is currently helping with that. I mean, NACA grants are, are not fun to write or administer in case you didn't know. Uh, but so I appreciate DU doing that on, on our behalf is, is very handy. To that point, uh, Jake, I did want to give you an opportunity to recognize a couple of the other funding agencies. You know, we don't do anything through any single source of funding. We don't do anything through any single um, entity. It's a tremendous partnership across the board. That includes the source of our funds. Uh, you mentioned a couple of these offline earlier, so I want to get you to talk about or just mention some of those. So who are some of the other funders that, we're, that are helping us some of our work here? So two other ones are the two other main ones that we work with in Arkansas are NIFWIF, the uh, National Fish and Wildlife uh, Foundation, and the Walton Family Foundation. Um, they're two private organizations that uh, they're are pretty pretty handy with uh, assisting us and the financial needs that we have to deliver work across the state. And then last question, Jake and Luke, you may want to comment on this as well, but. Uh, Jake, I think you might have some perspective on this. Are there any other, are we seeing any similar issues with with bottomland hardwood decline on federal lands, on private lands? Are we working with any of those other entities? Is this just uh, an Arkansas game and fish issue? Well, I can tell you from, you know, my private lands outreach across the state, it is an issue. Most private landowners that have a block of woods, they want water on their woods by opening day of duck season, and they're willing to put water on it well before opening day of duck season if there's some good rain coming. Um, trying to convince them to practice the most uh, forest-friendly flooding methods is proving to be more of a challenge than I thought it would be, but it's uh, something we need to work on in the future. And I imagine 
it's not restricted to the few landowners that I've met with. There's a lot of big private clubs that have a lot of timber in the state, and I imagine a lot of those guys are in the same boat. There's also some issues on some federal land. We are doing some work with the White River Refuge on their levy unit, Green Tree Reservoir. But a lot of those large refuges, they're not actually impounded Green Tree Reservoirs. They're just these complex bottomland forests that happen to hold a lot of water during flood events. So they are seeing some flooding issues and some uh, forest health issues, uh, Felsenthal and some other spots on White River that I'm aware of. But right now, we haven't really gotten involved with some of that other work. And that's not to say that we won't in the future. But right now, the majority of our work is restricted to game and fish land. Luke, anything to add to that? No, it's just fascinating. <laughs> Forest-friendly flooding, F-cubed. I think you just, I think you just coined you a term. That's right. Um, but not, it's fascinating to think about how we talk about 100,000 duck hunters in Arkansas, maybe not all of them on public lands or GTRs, of course, but the challenges of communicating and making changes. And then you have a, a duck club with five to 40, 50 members on the, on the large scale. They also have trouble making a decision to do yeah. the right thing. So it's like we all are kind of in the same boat trying to educate, inform, change of directions and it's absolutely that's kind of always in the back of our mind it's like okay we're developing all this information for game and fish owned gtrs the vast majority of it is applicable to any similar landscape and so private landowners in arkansas have been a, a partner with us in providing duck habitat and duck hunting opportunity and habitat for all the other critters that use these forested wetlands for for since, you know, for a hundred years. And so it's important to bring them alongside with us. Uh, we can't forget about that. They're, they're, they're an important linchpin in this effort too. And so we're glad to see folks like Jake actually out there. We communicate with those folks as well from Game and Fish, uh, but the more people talking to those folks and talking about these issues, the better. I would imagine one of the reasons why it's difficult for even a small group of people to make these very difficult decisions about changing their water management schedule is it's change. <laughs> it's yep. change. We don't like that. Yep. But also there's uncertainty. We, You tell me if I'm wrong on this, but we know that what we've been doing, the management schedule that we've had in place is not sustainable. But there's probably also some uncertainty around whether these changes that we're going to be putting in place are indeed going to, quote, fix the problem. So, Luke, my, my, when I was listening to you earlier, I think that continued scientific investigations, continued research is a huge part of what's going to be happening going forward, right? So we're not saying we know exactly what the solution is. We and we're going to implement this particular solution, we're saying we know what the problem is. We're going to go in a direction that we think is better, that we know is better, but we're going to have in place additional data collection, research to help us fine-tune it and continue to adapt and get better through time. Is that right? Correct. And so, you know, part of the problem, like I think, is that especially for duck clubs. Now, definitely, they've got a, a resource concern. These guys are stewards of the land. Um, but as long as they're shooting ducks, a lot of them say, well, what's the problem? You know, and you can shoot ducks yeah. in an overcup oak 
forest with very little acorn value, very little food value, because ducks still use those places to loaf. And we deal with those same questions on on public lands as well. well. What's the problem? I'm still shooting ducks. Of course, then you hear from the other part that, well, no ducks come to Arkansas anymore at all. There's a balance in there somewhere, right? But I think for, for a private duck club, like, well, we're still shooting ducks, and this club exists to have a place to duck hunt. So that decision maybe even gets a little harder for some of those folks. Yeah. But, you know, our Rob Willie, our forest or habitat program coordinator, has done phenomenal work in, in establishing a whole new way that we monitor forests across our WMAs and particularly in bottom and hardwood forested areas um, and looking and including measures of forest health. Our goal is to repeat those on a five-year interval. Now, for lots of issues, we probably won't fully meet that, but we're in the process of getting that kind of first sweep through all the GTRs right now, this new forest inventory protocol, which that will provide us the data, if we can continue this, even if it only can happen every seven to 10 years, let's say, long-lived species, right? So that's still going to provide information as we move forward about, okay, are we regenerating red oaks? Is forest health generally better um, if we, because part of that's going to be the dead, the bad trees just fall out, they die, right? So the ones left, we're improving the hydrology and making them more, increasing the survivability of those remaining trees. So we've got that in place. We've got some research going on right now with University of Arkansas Monticello on understanding red oak dormancy and when it happens. Of all the research that I poured through, there's no, nobody can say this is when red oak seedlings and mature red oak trees go dormant. There's no, there's no research to that effect. So we are fortunate to have a tree ecophysiologist at UAM, and he's been contracted on a project with Game and Fish, year four of five right now, um, to investigate that, figure out when seedlings and when adult trees go dormant to help us, and look at the triggers to that, environmental triggers, temperature, uh, soil temperature, air temperature, day length, whatever it might be. So we're going to keep evaluating. We, we're going to keep monitoring how these forests change um, and, and do research like this dormancy research that helps guide our management actions to be more keyed in around what the actual ecosystem can take. And I would imagine if that research finds that trees are dormant by early October, they may not be. That may be a foolish thing for me to say, but if the, if the hypothetically speaking, if trees are dormant by October 1st, maybe that would open the door for a change in the, in the flood schedule, the management schedule, right? It, it could. Probably going to go the other direction, That's most likely. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually yeah. learning... The early indications yeah. suggest that yeah. a lot of these red oak seedlings probably don't even really go dormant at all. Yeah. So that doesn't mean we can't artificially hold a little bit of water in some cases. Um, but we can manage a lot more. What I didn't cover a lot is how to, with this forest inventory we're doing now and our, our LIDAR, digital elevation information we have available now, we're now tying all this together. So what is a forest species composition by elevation zone? And so future management, I mentioned kind of infinitely adjustable water control structures in the future. We're going to be targeting management by forest community and elevation in the future. So we might be able to come in and say, hey, look, you know, this elevation at, at Dave Donaldson Black River is dominated by overcup oak. We reasonably are not going to promote a red oak forest in the long term. There's really not much harm in earlier flooding on that in that elevation zone we 
we don't have that kind of um, management control right now. We just we just don't have it. Our infrastructure doesn't allow it, and we haven't properly um, identified and delineated those zones. As we do that, yeah, our, our forest management and base say, well, we got no red oak regeneration here, and got a bunch of overcup oak. So this year, yeah, it's okay to to move the water level to X mean sea level on X date, right? Um, so a lot more adaptability and, and we'll be making those decisions. Well, it's certainly an exciting time. Y'all have your hands full, but it sounds like- We do. It's, it sounds like <laughs> you are, I mean, it, you're not taking this lightly. I think if 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 people take away nothing else, it's, it's that very thing. You're not taking this lightly. You're very thoughtful and very aware of, of the implications from the biological side of things, from the human resource, the human user side of things. It's- it's important. Again, I'll kind of go back to that. It is probably one of the most important decisions that that Arkansas Game and Fish Commission is going to face during your career, right? It is, and 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 probably over multiple careers of of agency employees. And I mean, it, it's going to require patience. It's going to require adaptability on the part of your your hunters. I, th- you know, whenever I think about it. I think what it's going to require people to do is just change their frame of mind, start looking longer term. Don't think about necessarily what they're giving up, but think about what they may be by, by them giving up a few things, they might ensure better experiences by their sons, their daughters, their grandsons and granddaughters and future generations. I mean, that's kind of the way we're thinking about it. That's kind of the way we have to think about this. It's very difficult to do, but I'm sure that's one of the messages that you're trying to send, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's about the next generations. Um, I, very few of us will, will see a lot of these trees that you, you go back and it, it's kind of humbling to walk on one of these areas and look at, uh, some success stories on red oak regeneration and kind of take a step back and not to get all kind of teary eyed and philosophical, but it, but it, if you go out and look at those places and think, okay, we just regenerated a, a willow oak on biota view that, I mean, I'll, I'll never stand against. And that's, it is, it's kind of takes you a step back and think, wow, okay. And, and we're making those decisions knowing that's true, knowing that we will have no benefit from this. We, we won't be around to experience the long-term benefit of this, of this restored uh, forest ecosystem. And, but that's the decision we have to make. Uh, we want the next generations to be able to have this. We want all the wildlife that require these ecosystems to be able to to be able to survive in them and use these places in the long run guys this has been a great conversation we still have to catch up with the director we want to get his his thoughts on um on this issue i know he's going to have some words to share and wants to share some messages to to your constituents here in the state of arkansas jake thank you for joining us here thank you welcome to ducks unlimited uh thank you for the great work that you're doing for the organization for your role in helping uh to deliver the solutions to to the green tree reservoir kind of recovery plan and luke thank you for always being a gracious guest here on the on the podcast and for bringing a lot of knowledge it's clear that you still have a lot in that noggin that we didn't even get to today but we got to go on and do a few other <laughs> yeah, things right now <laughs> we got to move on at some point right <laughs> right 
Uh, so thanks, guys. Thank you. All right, thank you. A special thanks to our, our guest on today's episode, Luke Naylor with Arkansas Game and Fish Commission and Jake Spears with Ducks Unlimited here in Arkansas. We greatly appreciate their time and expertise. As always, we thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for his work on getting these podcasts out to you. And to you, the listener, we thank you for your time, and we thank you for your support of wetlands and waterfowl conservation. That was uh, quite a lot there, fellas. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.